0: If God pulled up a chair today and said to you, I want to have a knee to knee, eye to eye conversation, what do you think he would say? Pulled up a chair, just you, knee to knee, eye to eye conversation. What do you think he would say? How you answer that says a lot. Would he be frustrated? Would he be angry? Would he have a word of criticism? Would it be encouraging? Thankfully today, we don't have to guess. He's actually told us what he would say. As one famous author and teacher said, God is there and he is not silent. So let's see what he does have to say in Hebrews chapter 1. Verse 1. There are four things that I want you to remember when you leave this morning. You can follow along in your listening guide. Number one, Jesus is God's definitive word. Jesus is God's definitive word. He said in verse one, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son. If there's one thing that we know from the scripture, it is that God communicates. Now, sometimes from our perspective, it feels like and sounds like radio silence, but he does communicate. In the Old Testament, he communicated through his prophets, people like Moses, Elijah, Elisha. They would go away. God would give them a word. They would go to God's people and say, thus saith the Lord. But Hebrews says in these latter days, these last days, God has chosen to speak through his son. I met Amanda in college and fell instantly in love, immediately. I mean, I didn't say that out loud because that would be weird, but just right away, I knew I loved her, and pretty quickly, I knew that I wanted to marry her. I didn't say that out loud either because that's even creepier. (laughs) I knew that she liked me. I knew that she enjoyed dating me, but I wasn't 100% sure what she was thinking long-term. I knew what I was thinking long-term, but not her. One day we met for lunch at the food court at the mall. When you're young and in college, that's about all that you can afford. And Everyone knows my great love for McDonald's, and so I had ordered McDonald's. We're sitting there eating, and as we're making small talk, we're watching the people behind the counter uh, work. And she said out loud, you know, maybe one day it would be awesome if we owned a McDonald's. Now, I don't know what she meant to say, but what I heard is one day when we're married, <laughs> we can own a McDonald's together. It was the first time that I could remember in our relationship, she spoke with definition, uh, clearly, clarity, about what she was thinking long term. In the Old Testament, when God would speak to, through his prophets, they were addressing things that were real at that time to God's people, but they were also pointing ahead to what was to come. And then Jesus came along and said that he came to fulfill the law and the prophets. Jesus is God's definitive word. Listen to how the apostle John starts his gospel when he sat down to write his story of Jesus. This is how it began. In the beginning was the word. See, he doesn't even say Jesus. He uses this title instead, the word with a capital W. And the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him, not anything made that was made. Jesus is God's definitive word. The second thing I want you to remember when you leave is that Jesus is Lord of God's creation. It says in verse 2, But in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. Now remember what John just said in John chapter 1, that there is not anything that was made that was not made through Jesus. God, God had a partner in creation, and that was Jesus, and that includes us. Jesus is our beginning. So in Psalm 139, when it says that we were knit together in our mother's womb, Jesus was a part of that. And it says that he upholds the universe by the word of his power. So, not only can we trace our beginning back to Jesus, he's the one who's sustaining us right now. And it says that he is the heir of all things. God has decided that Jesus will inherit creation. You know, there are people around the world that claim to be Jesus, there's a Jesus in Brazil. He lives on a small compound with twelve female disciples. In 1979, he was praying and fasting, and he became convinced that he was just Jesus reborn. So, Brazil is the new Bethlehem. Now, how do we know that this man is not really Jesus reborn? Because Jesus has promised us when He returns, He is going to claim His inheritance. That's what the book of Revelation is all about. Jesus taking with authority from Satan, sin, and death what is rightfully his. And we know that his inheritance is bigger than a small compound in Brasilia, Brazil. All of creation, including us, Jesus is the heir of all things. So here's what that means for us. As Jesus is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. The first letter of the Greek alphabet, the last letter of the Greek alphabet. He is the A, he is the Z, everything in between. It means that every road in our lives that does not begin and end with Jesus is a dead end. Every road that does not begin and end with Jesus is a dead end. So in our work, he's the beginning. So Jesus, I want to do your will as I work and he's the end through my work i want you to receive glory and honor and i want people to come to know you and see you in the way that i work in our family jesus you're the beginning i, I want to do your will as a husband and as a father the way that we order our home and you're the end i want you to receive Glory and honor and praise through the way that we live. And I want our neighbors to be able to see that you are real in our lives. In our success, which we're all striving after, Jesus is the beginning and the end. In my success and in my influence, I want to do your will. And you are the end of any success or influence I'll have in this world. I want people to see you. I want you to be glorified and honored. And all of my success, but if we choose those paths on our own, and we don't care about what God's will is, we don't care about who gets the glory, except us. that's a dead end. The problem with many of the roads that we 're on is they are so long when we get to the end and realize it's a dead end, we will have wasted our lives. Jesus is Lord of god 's creation. He is the beginning. He is the sustainer and he is the end. The third thing I want you to write down, Jesus is one with God. It says in verse three, he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. When it says that Jesus is the radiance of God's glory, it pushes us back into the Old Testament book of Exodus when God would lead his people with a pillar of fire at night and a cloud by day. So if you woke up in the middle of the night as an Israelite, you stepped outside of your tent, you didn't have to wonder, is God with us? Because you could look and see the fire. In the daytime, when they were wandering through the wilderness from place to place to place, they didn't have to wonder, are we on our own? They could look to see the cloud that was leading them. They could look to the tinted tabernacle And see God's presence there as Moses, their leader, would meet with God. Sometimes I find myself thinking, you know, if that kind of thing happened to me, then that would be good. Or even I hear supernatural stories of God working in people's lives. Like I remember reading about this village in Cambodia. There was a ruthless dictator that was in charge at the time. And he was just going from village to village to village with bands of his army and just wiping them out. His army rolls into one particular village. They gather with guns all of the villagers into the middle and they hand them all shovels. They make them start digging their own graves. So the people do what any of us would do. They start praying just to whichever God they believed in. And they're all praying to to random different gods. But there was one villager who uh, had met a missionary before years ago. And the missionary had told them the stories of the Bible. And, And this person didn't believe at the time. And the only thing that they could remember about what the missionary said was that they believed in a God who hung on a cross. And so this villager started praying to the God who hung on a cross. And pretty soon it started to catch on. And all the villagers became unified and praying to the God who came on the cross. One of them turned over their shoulder. The army gone. Disappeared. Thin air. I read that story. I remember thinking, if something happened to me like that, I would never doubt again. I would always be faithful. Something that miraculous if I could wake up in the middle of the night and peek out my blinds, and there was a big pillar of fire, I would always be committed, would never waver. But we see from the scripture that that's not true. The Israelites, they had evidence of God's glory all around them, and yet at every turn, they complained and doubted, filled themselves with unbelief. Because God had a better expression of his glory. Jesus is the radiance of God's glory. And it says the exact imprint of his nature. Listen to what Jesus says in John chapter 14. In response to a question by one of his disciples, Philip said to him, verse 8, Lord, show us the Father and it is enough for us. And Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. John chapter 10, verse 31, Jesus said, I and the Father are one. See, what Philip was asking for was, Jesus, if you just show us God's pillar of fire, If you'll just show us God in a cloud, that's all we need. Jesus draws a line in the sand and says, If you've seen me, then you have seen the Father. There's a popular book out right now, written mostly to young people, that says they love Jesus but hate the church. The idea is that uh, people want to follow Jesus, but they have had a bad taste in their mouth because of the church. I think the bigger segment of the population is we love the church, but don't love following Jesus. Love the church. It's a great community. Makes me feel good when I come. Check the box. Opportunities to make a difference with my life. But then we read the words of Jesus and think, well, I mean, the Sermon on the Mount, for example. Jesus says things in the Sermon on the Mount that I never want to do. Like, ever. Like, he just casually brings up, love your enemies. I'm like, no. <laughs> Feel neutral about my enemies? No problem. <laughs> Don't think about my enemies? I can do that. But to love them? No. I mean, there are things that Jesus has told us that we will never do and have already decided, I'm just not going to do that. But we love the church. But he draws a line in the sand. He says, if you believe in God, you have to do what I say. Because the Father and I are one. Because if you've seen me, then you've seen the Father. He is the exact imprint of his nature. And finally, the last thing that I want you to write down and remember, Jesus is the purifier of sinners. He says in verse three, he is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. In the Old Testament, the priest would first make a sacrifice for themselves to cover for their own sin. And then they would make a sacrifice for you to cover for your sin. These priests, they did this day after day after day after day after day. Because like us, those first people of God, the Israelites, they were sinners and they sinned. And so these sacrifices always had to be made. But like the prophets, we're pointing at something in the moment, but also pointing ahead. These sacrifices were pointing ahead to a better sacrifice to come. Jesus came Fulfilled the shadow of the sacrificial system when he died on a cross to atone for our sin. You know, the prophet um, Isaiah speaks of this and speaks of Jesus speaking from the cross. We see these statements that Jesus made there. He said, Father, forgive them. He said to one of the thieves also being crucified, Today you'll be with me in paradise. He said to his own mother who was there witnessing her son's death, Woman, behold your son. Standing next to her was one of the original disciples, John. He says to John, Behold your mother, meaning, will you take care of my mom for me? He was honest from the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Quoting from the Psalms. We see his humanity there when he said, I'm thirsty. He said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And then he said, It is finished. That's why we read in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, that after making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. You know the reason why he sat down? Because it was finished. He wasn't like those Old Testament priests that had to do it over and 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 over over again. One time for all time for everyone. It's finished. The prophet Isaiah said that all of our righteousness is like a filthy rag. So I brought a filthy rag. Used to be a t-shirt. I mean, you have these in, in your house. and You know, I don't need to be convinced that uh, my life is a lot like this filthy rag. I mean, I know I'm a sinner. I mean, even just a couple of days ago, I lost my cool and my testimony with a service provider on the phone. Amanda ran in and said, what's the matter? And I was like... I'm a terrible person. That's what is a matter. And I had to apologize to the person and said, I know it's not your fault. I know that you don't have anything to do with this. You're just the unfortunate person who had to answer my phone call. And I apologize. Thankfully, I don't think they knew that I was a pastor and hurt the cause of Christ in that moment. So I just felt awful about it. But, you know, it's not like I can call back the 1-800 number and trace and apologize to them again. So when I read the prophet's words that my righteousness is like a filthy rag, like I get it, I get it. And then I come to church and we talk about forgiveness and I love that. And I believe that because I need that. I mean, maybe you don't, maybe it's like Jesus won and then you won A and it's like you've sinned one time in high school but never again since then. And so you really feel bad about it. But me, it's a daily struggle. And so when we talk about forgiveness here, that's real to me but I also know that if I went to wash this rag it wouldn't totally get clean it would be cleaner but it would still have spots and blemishes and stains I mean I could bleach the heck out of it but I know really then it would just fall apart That's why most of us live somewhere between filthy and sort of clean. But it comes along and it says that Jesus is the purifier of sinners. He's not interested today in just washing us mostly clean. He comes and opens up a fresh new package of packages of shirts for us fresh out of the box brand new born again i mentioned last week that you know nobody outside of Houston has really ever cared about Bayou City Fellowship but we had our 15 seconds of fame there when the hurricane came and now that's gone that's big time gone but if you went to and picked up the latest issue of Time Magazine, you'd actually see our church, uh, church's picture in there. Uh, this is one of our staff members. This is Alicia, and she's surrounded by a million bottles of water. This is a warehouse that we have at our other campus. If you're a guest with us, we're doing this right now here, but a whole other set of our family is doing the exact same thing in a different part of town, and they pretty much have everything that we have. They, uh, We have a warehouse here, and they have a warehouse there, and you know, it's weird that a church would have one warehouse, let alone two warehouses. But we just kind of dumb lucked into these things. And all the time we're asking God, you know, why, why do we have those these things? And, and that warehouse that you saw in the picture, it, it's supposed to be our new worship gathering place starting next Easter construction was supposed to begin in July but you've done construction before and so it was delayed and so at the end of the lot and the end of July we decided to have a, a worship and prayer night right there in that warehouse just as a way to dedicate this building to God to just fill it up with prayer and worship and praise and faith and expectation and so on the hottest day of the year at that point, We gathered that campus in the warehouse to worship and pray, unair conditioned 100% uh, hot. And uh, it was just a fantastic, amazing time. And at the end of it, we gave out Sharpie markers and said, hey, before you leave, we want you to write a request on the walls. It could be personal. It could be for the church. Just go and write a request. And lots of people do that. Lots of churches have done that you've done that if you've ever built a home. You went in there, you wrote some scripture, you wrote a prayer down somewhere. That was what I was planning to say, but right before I released him to do that, and I said, "And please do me a favor. Before you write your request, will you just write Jesus' name real big right before your request? Honestly, it sounded like an awesome thing to say, but I didn't have a real compelling reason. It just came out of my mouth. So we have these warehouses that we weren't planning on having. We have a prayer and worship night. Construction gets delayed again. It's supposed to be August. And now we have these warehouses filled with hurricane relief supplies and we end up in Time Magazine and that's in the background. So we started today by asking a real simple but difficult question. If God pulled up a chair and said, I want to have a knee-to-knee, eye-to-eye conversation with you, what do you think he would say? I'm guessing if you're like me, most of us think he would talk about our filthy rag. That he'd be frustrated, potentially angry at us, But what Hebrews chapter one tells us is if he pulled up a chair to talk to you today, he would tell you about Jesus. He'd tell you about his son. He'd tell you how his son is his definitive word. He'd tell you about how his son is the Lord of creation. He'd tell you about how his son is one with him. And he'd tell you that he is the purifier of sinners. So if God is going to speak to you today, the first thing that He's going to tell you about is Jesus. and that's really good news for us. Let's pray. Why don't you take a second and just ask God directly, God, what are you? What are you speaking to me today?